My name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to take a minute and add a special welcome to you if you are visiting with us this morning. Uh, we hope that you take a few minutes after the service is over, uh, grab a coffee on us at our Mission Mocha counter, and uh, give us a chance to meet you, find out a little bit more about who you are and what brings you out to church this morning. Uh, in our series that we're going through right now uh, called How Goes Your Walk, we're talking about what does it mean for us to be disciples of Jesus? Uh, one of the key questions that we ask as a, as a church, because we're people of the book, is where is it written? Uh, we go to scripture as the word of God, a, a, as our guide for faith and, and teaching and, and how we're supposed to live our lives together. And so we always want to be going to the scriptures and saying, where is it written in God's word about how we're supposed to challenge one another and live out this faith in Jesus that we've come to live out as Christians? But we also recognize that that question uh, leads us to a, a second question, how goes your walk? The question of how goes your walk is, is, a, is a question of how goes your walk with Jesus? Discipleship to Jesus is not just a, a belief system. It's supposed to be an active walking with Jesus as our master, as our rabbi. Last week, Pastor Dick shared with us that ancient blessing, you know, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi, with this idea that we're, we're following so closely behind Jesus as our rabbi, as our teacher, as our master, that, that the dust of his shoes is getting all over us and, and that we are living the same life that he came to live. We're learning from the life that he's modeled for us. It's not just information, but it's application. It's life transformation. And one of the things that we've been saying here at Faith Covenant Church is that discipleship to Jesus isn't one of the things that we do. It's the one thing that we do. All of our life in church and in worship and in our families and in our workplaces and how we use the gifts and the talents and the resources God has given us is all a part of being a disciple and a follower of Jesus. It's being on mission with him in the kingdom of God. Our invitation that we've been extending uh, during this series is that between now and Easter, uh, the challenge is, can we be walking with Jesus through the gospel of Mark, allowing the stories of Jesus' life and ministry to impact us today, to help us to see where are we on this path with Jesus, and how as we enter into that story, what, might we hear a fresh word through his spirit about how he's calling us to take that next step in our growth, in our journey as disciples. The question, how goes your walk, can be a very personal and challenging question for us. In the first week, we uh, asked the question, the additional question is, are you on the path? If we're walking with Jesus, what, what path is it that he invites us to walk? And in the first chapter of Mark, we, we looked at how the kingdom of God was emerging through the life and the ministry of Jesus, and, and that we are invited to enter into the rule and reign of God in our own lives personally. And that defines the path that Jesus is inviting us to walk. The key verse that we shared from Mark 1.15 is that Jesus announced, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And we shared how this, this call to repent isn't this punitive, you know, beat us over the head with, with scripture and the word of God. It's, a, it's an invitation to be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light and to discover a whole new meaning and purpose for living on this path with Jesus. This is the path that Jesus came to walk. It was him to come to do the will of his Father, and he invites us to experience that same life through the power of his Spirit that seeks first the kingdom of God and that demonstrates the love and power of God in our life to fulfill his purposes through us. Is that the path that I'm on? Is that the path that you're on? Are we as a church on this path of living in the reign and rule of the kingdom of God in our lives?
And then last week, we moved into chapter 2, and Pastor Dick asked the additional question, are you real with God? And as we looked into chapter 2, we saw the story of Jesus healing the paralytic that was lowered down through the roof by his four friends. And and, and before he healed him, he says, your sins are forgiven. And then the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law got all upset and says, how can he say your sins are forgiven? And he says, well, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But to show you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, he heals the man, he gets up and walks. And then we hear right after that the calling of Levi, who was a tax collector. And Jesus goes to this party with all these sinners and tax collectors, right? And, he, and he's having a great time. All these people are coming into the kingdom through Jesus' ministry. And, of course, the Pharisees say, how could he do that? What, what a terrible person he must be to be able to uh, make himself unclean by associating with the wrong kind of people. But we are invited in the story to see ourselves in the paralytic and to see ourselves in the tax collectors and the sinners and to recognize in the key verse that we shared last week in Mark 2.17, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, we, we need to ask ourselves, are we being real with God? Are we being honest with God about who we really are and our, our deep need for his forgiveness and his healing in our lives? Are we honest with ourselves about that? Are, are, we, are we willing to recognize that we too are in desperate need of God's mercy and grace in our lives in an ongoing way? Because if we're not able to be honest about our own sin and our own brokenness and our need for God's power in our life, we run the risk of becoming like the Pharisees who feared losing their sense of control and power in their own lives and began to demonize Jesus as an enemy and as a threat rather than as the source of true life. If we are able to be real with God, though, we have the opportunity to become like those four friends who were able to bring their friend to Jesus so that others, too, can find God's healing and wholeness through the ministry of our lives that Jesus calls us to live. Am I being real with God in my walk with Jesus? Am I willing to acknowledge my need for forgiveness and mercy this morning, today, as I come to worship God and and praise the name of Jesus? Am I willing to be honest and real with God about how I, too, am one of those sinners and tax collectors that need God's forgiveness. Today, we move into chapter 3, and I want to invite you to kind of get a sense of this overall flow of the story. It's really easy to kind of drill down into specific verses, but but as we're going through, we can be reading the the flow of the story, getting into the journey with Jesus. I would encourage you, if if you have time and interest, to to go back and and throughout the week, kind of go back to the beginning of the gospel and read through the, the larger story and get a feel for what's happening and enter into it with Jesus. Ultimately, the goal of discipleship to Jesus is that we become united with him. And that's our question for today. Are you united with Jesus? See, Jesus is the source of life for us as Christians. He is the living well. And yet we can all fall into times when we have, as the apostle Paul said, the outward form of religion, but denying its power at work in our lives. We can deny the the power that's available to bring healing to the broken places within us, to restore us and to reconcile us to relationship with God when we've become estranged or when we've allowed ourselves to get distracted from the path that God would have us walk, to begin to renew us and transform us from the inside out and to to continue to transfer us out of darkness and into his light, as 1 Peter says. In chapter C, what we see is also the increasing tension surrounding Jesus and those who are following him. 
In the synagogue, there's tension over whether it's appropriate to heal on the Sabbath. And when they go out to, to the sea where Jesus is teaching, the, the mass of people are so big, and, and they're, they're coming, they're not even waiting for Jesus to heal them. They're coming, and they're all just trying to touch him. And so he has to get into a boat and go out onto the water to, to get away from the mass of crowds so he can continue to speak and teach people. He appoints 12 apostles who are identified as those who would be with him, uh, the, the 12 disciples who become the forerunners of our relationship with Jesus. And we see him beginning to multiply his ministry. But I want to focus in on verses 20 through 34 today because there's a, a piece of this uh, sense of division within the kingdom of God that comes to a really personal point for Jesus. If you pick up the story in verse 20... After Jesus appoints the the 12 apostles to go out and preach and to continue to drive out demons in Jesus' name, it says that Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he's out of his mind. His own family doesn't even understand him. They think he must be losing it. We have to go collect him because he's going he's gonna to bring shame on us. He's embarrassing us. You know, what, Jesus, what are you doing? This is just craziness. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, they said he's possessed by Beelzebub or the, the devil, by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying that he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Tension is growing, and even Jesus' own family is beginning to call into question his actions and what he's doing, and, and is, this, is this appropriate? Is this okay? Is, is he a little bit off of his rocker? And the leaders of the church, or the synagogue, and the Jewish faith leaders are, are questioning what, what is his true spiritual power? What is his motivation? Is he really from God? And they're beginning to say, you know, it's, it's satanic power that he's using to drive out demons. And so we have this whole idea of this sense of division coming in, this tension around Jesus' ministry. Who is he? What is he doing? And by what power does he have the authority to do and to say the things he's saying? Just a few points I want to draw out from this passage for us today. And then again, I want to invite you to take time during the week to read through the story, to enter into it, to make yourself one of the characters in the story. Where does the story connect with your life today? The first point I'd like to make for us today, that is familiarity with Jesus is not the same thing as unity with Jesus. Familiarity with Jesus is not the same thing as unity with Jesus. A number of years ago, in 2011, uh, Pastor Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Not a Fan. 
Some of you guys may have heard of it. Many people, Kyle says, are fans of Jesus, but they don't necessarily make themselves willing to follow him. One of the promos for the book says, are you a follower of Jesus? Don't answer too quickly. In fact, you may want to read this book before you answer at all. Consider it a define the relationship conversation to determine exactly where you stand. You may indeed be a passionate, fully devoted follower of Jesus, or you may just be a fan who admires Jesus, but isn't ready to allow him to cramp your style. (laughs) And isn't that the challenge in, in our Western, capitalistic, successful, wealthy culture. We, 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 we would like freedom. We like to be able to call the shots. We like to be able to set our own course and our agenda. And we don't want anybody coming in and cramping our style. Sure, Jesus, he's a cool guy. I, I can go to church. I can, I can say that I believe in Jesus, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I can add that into my portfolio of, of wealth that I can use as I get into heaven at the end of my life. But do I really have to change the way I'm living? Do I really have to give everything that I have to him and to his purposes? Or can I kind of have one foot in both camps? And what I think we're seeing here is that Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity, I like to say, is a team sport where everyone plays. And if you're not playing, you're not on the team. Being united with Jesus and his purpose to do God's will is the starting point for experiencing unity with Christ in our lives. It's not just a belief system, it's a lifestyle plan that Jesus has introduced to us where we follow him and live the way that he lived. We are called to be on mission with Jesus. I I would suggest for us this morning the key verse is the last verse that we read in Mark 3.35 where Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You see, what we discover is that the same spirit that Jesus had that empowered him, the spirit of God that allowed him to usher in the kingdom of God and to begin to do all the amazing things that he was doing, healing the brokenhearted, driving out demons, actually physical healing and bringing forgiveness is the same spirit that is at work in us if we're willing to accept that spirit and God's call on our life as well. And what we discover is that as we share the same spirit that Christ had, it leads us to a sense of intimacy with Christ in our lives. But if we're not willing to to unite ourselves with Christ and to enter into God's kingdom with Christ and do God's will, living the same purposes, we we kind of reject that invitation to live in that intimate place with Christ in our lives. We spend all the time having the outward form of religion, but denying the very power of the spirit to transform us from the inside out. The other thing that we discover is that we become united with other people in a spiritual family because the same spirit that I have in me is the same spirit that you have in you. And that begins to make us family in a way that biological blood could never do. You see, family identity was important in Jesus' day, especially if you think about it for the people of Israel, right? The people of God. Your family, your tribe, the nation that you were from was a part of your religious identity, was a part of who you were. And if you were to be excommunicated from your family, if you were to be rejected by your family, to bring shame upon your family, that was a a terrible thing. It was a terrible place to be. 
And yet many people found themselves in, through, through economic circumstances, many women and children who were cast out by divorce found themselves in some very difficult and terrible places because they lost their connection to family. And here this guy Jesus comes in and says, whoever does God's will is my family, is my mother and brother and sister. And so what he does is he begins to elevate the the life of everyone that God has created as being of equal value in God's eyes. He creates a whole new sense of what it means to be human family together because we share the same spirit of Christ in us. In Christ, we discover a whole new sense of what it means to be family and tribe and nation within the kingdom of God, regardless of your earthly family experience, regardless of your race or your ethnicity or your economic status or even your social status, whether you're in school or in your workplace. See, the good news is that each one of us has the freedom to be adopted into God's family and to have equal status of being loved and forgiven and empowered by the Spirit of God in us. That's good news. In a broken world full of division, we are called to be united with one another because we have been united in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Yet it also then means, if you think about it, that we also have responsibility for one another, doesn't it? If discipleship isn't one of the things that we do, but it's the one thing that we do at Faith Covenant Church, then it means that we need to learn fresh new ways about what it means to truly be family with one another, to care for the needs of one another, to challenge one another, to be on journey with Jesus, and to ensure that everyone is growing and thriving and becoming a fully devoted, mature follower of Jesus Christ. What role does Jesus have for you to play in our spiritual family here at Faith Covenant Church? Are you united with Jesus on mission in the mission and ministries of this spiritual family which you are invited to be a part of? Who is it that Jesus might be calling you to invest in or to spend time with, to pray for, to disciple, to come alongside as a spiritual brother or sister, or even as a a spiritual mentee, somebody who might be more like a, a Paul and a Timothy, In what ways might Jesus want to display his spirit's power through your life to bring healing and wholeness and restoration to someone that you know? Because you see, as we enter into this mission to be a blessing to those around us, we are empowered by God's spirit to accomplish the things that he calls us to do. And we experience that intimacy with Christ, that unity with Christ, because it's his spirit that he gives us to be able to accomplish what he's called us to do. The crowds came for what they could get from Jesus. His biological family didn't understand him. They thought he was crazy. They were perhaps even a little bit ashamed of who he was. The religious leaders or the spiritual fathers or mentors of Jesus' day were jealous of Jesus' popularity, and they thought he was evil, and they tried to undermine him. The 12, think about the 12 that he called to be apostles, right? They were perfect saints, weren't they? No, Peter, you know, was even called Satan himself by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. You're not for the things of God. Uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, you know, had their mommy come and say, hey, can they sit by you on your right and left hand in the throne room? 
And of course, if you go through the list there in chapter 3, it ends with Judas, who was the one who ultimately betrayed Jesus. See, these 12 called disciples were not the paragons of the Christian faith. They, they, they weren't the, the perfect saints that we are called to, to model ourselves after and live up to. They were you and me. They were broken people, sinners who needed the power of God at work in their life to transform them from mere fishermen to fishers of men. But when you see the Spirit of God working through these broken, you know, uh, fallen human beings, we see through the history that the Spirit of Christ in them transformed them to be able to be a powerful force that transformed the entire world. We're here today because of their faith and because of their unity with Jesus. The text says that they were called to be with him, but then to be sent out to preach the good news, to be his witnesses and to drive out demons in his name. You see, there is a division going on in this world. There is a division between good and evil that we struggle with. There is a tension in this world that we experience every day. But it's easy for us to to kind of overlook that or or to, to just focus on our own comfort and our own needs all the while the world around us is struggling with the same cosmic warfare that Jesus came to overcome, that that God has had a plan from the beginning of time to send his son to be the savior of the world. And, And if we're not on mission with Jesus, if we're not focusing on uniting with his spirit, then we're not part of the solution to the problem. We are not living on the path of the kingdom of God, and we're missing out on the intimacy and the power that God has for us by being Jesus' disciples. We, too, are called to be with Jesus, to be his witnesses, to display the power of his spirit at work in our lives, to be a blessing to those around us. We are his family if we seek to do the will of his Father like he came to do. But you see, the challenge is, That if we're not with him, then we allow ourselves to be influenced by the things that are not of him. And that's why he goes through that that whole thing about the strong man, right? If you want to to rob a strong man, you got to come in and you got to bind him and you got to tie him up. And if you can do that, then you can plunder his whole house. And Jesus is saying, that's what I've come to do. I'm the one who is stronger than the devil. I'm the one who's stronger than the forces of evil in this world. I have come and I have bound them up. But if you're not willing to join me in my mission, you're you're missing out on the strength and the power that I've provided to be able to allow everyone to be a part of this kingdom of light. The question for us, again, as we go on this journey with Jesus is, are we united with him today? Are we allowing his spirit to be the spirit that guides us, that directs us, that gives us our marching orders, that allows us to say yes to some things and no to other things, and sometimes even saying no to some good things because it's not the best that God has for our lives? Am I united with Jesus? And I, again, have to confess that this is a struggle for me, even as a pastor. It's so easy for me to to focus on other things, even the very ministries of, of church, and to get off track in my walk with Jesus. One of the things that we as a staff are doing is we're encouraging each other to take one day a month where it's a personal Sabbath day, where we're, you know, we, we can't go into the office and you can't stay at home. You have to go somewhere where you can engage with God, where you can spend time reading scripture. You can do some journaling. Maybe it's out in nature, a place where you can connect with God's spirit and you can find that place of unity with the presence of God in your life. 
Maybe if we all spent a little more time being intentional about trying to find time to to allow God's Spirit to get into the nitty-gritty of our hearts and our minds and in our lives, we would experience more of that empowerment to make it through the challenges that we have. We live with a lot of tension in our own lives too, don't we? Jesus never said that being a Christian would be easy, (laughs) What he said is it would be meaningful and we would discover the deeper purposes for why God created us. Are you a fan of Jesus but not following him today? I believe our call through this story today is that we get beyond being spectators and we get on the playing field and get about doing the work of God's kingdom together. Amen? Let's pray.